Into the fray. What does that even mean? You don't know about the fray? You know, do you remember that Liam Neeson movie? I don't even know who that is. What are you talking about? The gr- you don't know who Liam Neeson is? No. <laughs> what? I'm a child of immigrants, Henry. Why would I know what that is? I I mean, I, he's a global star. Is he a director? Do you know the movie Taken? No. Do you live under a rock? No. <laughs> I don't. I don't think being an immigrant is is a response to that. <laughs> I just I don't watch a lot of American movies. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, like I. I do, I will say, I watch an embarrassing number of rom-coms, which is probably not great for my mental health, but I, I do watch a lot of rom-coms. I really liked 500 Days of Summer in the past. That was a pretty good rom-com. Really? I, that... I just wouldn't have guessed that you would sit down and watch that movie. <laughs> what, why? What's wrong with love? Isn't love enough? <laughs> Whenever we talk about the LSAT, yeah, you're I talking mean... about war and destruction, and you're constantly quoting these, like... I don't know, historic war movies. There's a fine line between love and war. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful segue into our episode. Start us off. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Seven Sage LSAT podcast. I'm Henry Ewing, and I'm joined with my lovely co-host. Asta Sinha. So despite our riveting conversation of rom-coms, that's not actually what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about something even more exciting. What is that, Henry? Mm, riveting. After the passage seal the deal we're talking about rc i'm so wait hold on that actually kind of does like seal the deal it's like rom-com-esque i think that was the intended like flair to this episode oh is that why you made that title? i don't know i don't know I, I was thinking like after dusk like after i don't know seal the deal the pieces maybe, just clicked I, for me maybe there's a business maybe there's a business angle i don't know what this name is no, we're going the rom-com angle. That's what we're talking about. We're going to teach you guys how to fall in love with RC. Right. We did an episode previously okay. <laughs> about how to read the passage for RC. And so this episode is going to be a continuation off of that one, talking about what happens after the passage. So you've read it, you've gotten what you need to, you've got the structure, you've got the main ideas, you understand the different perspectives. And then when you jump into the questions, what do you need to be doing? So we're going to be talking about three main aspects of what happens after the passage today. First thing is how to predict your answer choices. Second thing is how often should you be going back to the passage? And the last thing will be Henry and I battling it out for the best strategy for comparative passages. Mano e mano. Man on man. <laughs> what is, I, I, are my... Are my <laughs> Uh, no, nothing's landing with you today. I Liam feel Neeson. Like I'm having a mono e mono. Are you? I'm... These are not crazy phrases. <laughs> Henry and I will have a, a disagreement about how to read comparative passages. So stay tuned till the end. Very meta. Very meta. Right? Having a disagreement about comparative passages. Oh, like... wait. I didn't even think of that. That's good. That's good. Let's start off with the first thing on the agenda. You've read the passage. You read the question stem for the very first question. If the first thing you do after reading the question stem of an RC question is look at the answer choices, you're going to fail. I said it. Maybe that's controversial, but I feel very strongly about it. That's hyperbole. That's hyperbole. But yeah, I I agree. I agree. (laughs) I agree the first thing shouldn't be going right to the answer choices. I think there has to be, though, like, even if it's a split second, some kind of a step in between reading the question stem and reading the answer choices. Because here's what I found from my tutoring clients time and time again. They'll read the question stem. They have no idea what's going on. They barely understand the passage. They'll jump into the answer choices. And instead of them filtering out the answer choices, they are letting the answer choices sway their decision making. They'll read A and they're like, oh, like, yeah, I guess I kind of recognize those words. I'll keep it around. They'll read B. Oh, yeah, that kind of sounds good. They'll read C. Oh, now I'm just kind of confused. What was the passage about? 
They read D, they read E, and now they have spent all this time on this question. They have absolutely nothing to show for it. And that happens so often. It happened to me when I was studying for the test. So (laughs) when you're doing these questions, I think it's so, so important that in between reading the question stem and reading the answer choices, you're doing one thing and you are trying to predict the answer choice. If the question's like, which one of the following is the main idea of the passage or what's the function of the second paragraph, right? Questions like that, you should be able to predict almost word for word exactly what the answer is. And if you can't, if you really struggle with doing that, you need to get better at reading the passage itself, right? You need to just practice a little bit more. Now, I've had students come to me and be like, Asta, your advice is nonsense because I can't always predict what the answer is going to be. Sometimes the question is just, which one of the following statements would the author be most likely to agree with? Or which one of the following examples best exemplifies the critic's theory? Right? Obviously, the right answer could be literally anything. Who's to say? In those instances... Instead of predicting what the answer is, I still absolutely firmly believe you should predict where in the passage the answer is going to come from, right? Where in the passage did the critic's point of view come from? Where in the passage did the author really make a strong stance about what they believe? You should have a good enough understanding of the passage that when you read a question like that, you know what part of the passage is going to be relevant to the right answer. And then, right, if you can do that, you can start to eliminate answer choices based on location alone, right? If it's just in the wrong part of the passage entirely, yeah, it's probably not the right answer. So what do you kind of think about that breakdown, Henry? Yeah, I 100% agree. It reminds me a lot of an LR weekend question. The weekend questions on LR, they're very difficult to anticipate the exact words of the answer choice or even the direction the answer choice is going to go. However, right, with the weekend question, you still tend to be able to prephase them because these these arguments in a weekend question, they're, they're flawed. If you set yourself up by identifying the flaw, you'll realize that the correct answer choice 99% of the time gets at that flaw, right? It, it, it speaks to that flaw. Well, very similarly with RC, you might not be able to anticipate exactly what the answer choice is going to say. I tend to disagree. I feel like some of the harder main point questions, it's harder to do the word for word. But you can anticipate the the direction that the the answer choice is going to go, right? It's probably going to involve something a little bit with the structure of the passage and also getting at the points of those or the main idea of each of those parts is the right word. What am I looking for here? (laughs) Each part of the passage. That's what you're looking for in the main point. When you're looking at the answer choices for any other question on RC, it's definitely going to pay off to just take a second to think like, what is this asking me? Am I able to answer this question on my own? If not, do I have an idea, right, of where this is going to go? Maybe I don't exactly know, but if I have an idea, that's going to give you a really good opportunity to filter some questions out quickly. Absolutely. And I'm glad you use the word filter because that's the the word that I use a lot when I'm explaining why this practice is so important, right? Because if you go into the answer choices with no filter, like I find that feeling so familiar of getting through all five of the answer choices and having absolutely no freaking clue what's going on. I don't know what the right answer is. I don't even have like an inclination of one answer over the other. And it's because I don't have a good filter. But if you have some kind of a filter that you're going into the answer choices with, you have a lot more power with these answer choices. You can be a lot more confident and definitive with what you're eliminating and what you're picking. And you're also moving through it a lot more efficiently. Because part of the advice that we gave when talking about how to analyze the passage and how to read the passage in the first place was to invest a good bit of time into the passage, right? Three to four minutes approximately when you're reading the passage, if you're working on standard time. So if you're spending that amount of time on the passage, you really don't have that much time for the questions. You can't be spending over a minute on every single question that you do. So I think the investment of taking five to 10 seconds in between the question stem and the answers, I'm not saying spend forever on it, but taking those five to 10 seconds allows you to answer the RC question in 
I don't know, maybe 15 seconds, 20 seconds. You can just gloss through all the answer choices and you know exactly what you're looking for. That's super cool. And that's something that I feel like a lot of students think is unattainable, right? Being able to answer these questions within just a couple of seconds. But I don't know about you, Henry, but when I do RC passages now, I am a woman on a mission, right? Like I know exactly <laughs> yes. what I'm looking for. I'm speeding When aren't these. you a woman on a mission, Asa? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. But like I'm working through these at like a crazy pace, something that like if you told me at the beginning of my studying, I'd be doing RC this way, I would slap you across the face because I was struggling so much with it. But that was the, the biggest change in my perspective when it came to RC was just learning and and instilling that skill of predicting the answer. Yeah, I 100% agree. On LR, you're able to preface and, and have a much better idea of the exact wording of the answer choice a lot more often than RC. But with RC, that doesn't mean you aren't able to preface, right? So it's very important, like what you said, to, to have a filter when you're going through these questions so your process of elimination can be very quick. Right? I, I Even though I, I can't preface each RC question as fast or as many RC questions as I can with LR, LR, I tend to think that the questions go by a lot faster because I have a very strong filter and I've invested so much time up front that I'm able to go through a lot of these questions, not all of them, but a lot of these questions in what you said, 15, 20 seconds. How, what, how do you filter? What are some of the ways that you like to filter? I'm thinking of one. Why a don't lot you go of these, first? Yeah. Uh, why don't <laughs> I go like first? Just, like set just yourself bomb, up drop for that, that bomb one. on you. Yeah, no, I, I know, right? <laughs> I'll go. <laughs> Does anyone have any ideas? I have an idea. I, there's, there's an element of RC that there's this idea, right? Where the answer choice, 100% of it needs to be right. A lot of these answer choices on RC, the first 90% of them will look really good and people drop their guard and they just go to the the next question, right? They leave it up. All right, we're, we're going to leave that up. But the problem is the last 10% of it is, is very bad. It, it might be directly against your filter. So one thing I, I like to do and what I tell everyone is really read every single word of the answer choice. I, it sounds silly. It sounds silly, but it's so easy. I do this all the time when I, I read a, a paragraph or I read a sentence and I skip over some parts. The problem is, is the part you skip over might be that one word, right? Or that little phrase that would get caught by your filter. So it's very important to also read every single word of the answer choice. I, I can't stress that enough. And I also think that goes to reading every single answer choice as well, right? When you're filtering through these answer choices, because going back to that point, though, I think that's such a good point. I was teaching a live class recently on RC, and there was a passage where like one of the first sentences of the passage said that, oh, I don't even remember exactly, but it was something along the lines of like, some literary critics think blah, 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 right? It just said some literary critics think X. And then one of the answer choices was saying, you know, the author would be most likely to agree that all literary critics yada 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 right we don't know anything about all literary critics in the first half the answer choice was spot on perfect exactly what those some literary critics thought but then the last half of the answer said all literary critics and a lot of people in my class initially picked that answer but it's like well no half of that answer is absolutely blatantly wrong but you have to read all of it i, I think that's a really really great point I have to bring it up now because we talked a little bit about this before. Well, I love that that example you bring up too because that's another one of my filters when I'm looking through these questions. Uh, you mentioned how the author says some liter literary critics believe X. And one of the answer choices there is the author believes, uh, you know, inference, the author thinks all literary critics believe X. Very popular answer choice from what I hear. The problem with making an inference like that, that the author believes that all literary critics believes X, is that's a very hard thing 
nothing to prove, right? You more or less need those exact words from the author. I believe that all literary critics think this. Whereas something like some, all you have to do is find one literary critic that the author believes thinks X, right? And so there's this idea, and I hate to talk about like strength and answer choice being very strong. I more like to think of it as very specific, right? When you're making an inference, the more specific the claim, the more proof you need to have, right? And so, and often these inference questions, they look weak, right? Or more general, the right answer choice. And again, this is a, a rule of thumb, guys. I'm not going to say that this is true of every single answer choice, but a tool you can go back to is this idea of like, during an inference question, answer choice B is some very specific claim. Ask yourself, is this just a hard thing to prove in general that all literary critics believe X or there are no people on earth who likes Y? Those are both very hard things to prove, right? It's a lot easier to say, well, some people might think X and some people might think Y. Questions like that. I tend to, that's what I, something I bring up to a lot of my, and this is something I struggled with, was this idea, right, of, of making inferences that are, they're not weak inferences, they're just easier inferences to make, right? The author might believe that this painter is really good, instead of thinking that this author thinks this painter is the best painter on earth, right? I'm picking the, the former one every single time. Absolutely. I think that's a really, really good point. The only other thing I'll say as far as filtering... I took us on this detour. <laughs> <laughs> What I think about when I'm filtering through answer choices is something that you actually mentioned here, I think you articulated it really well in a previous episode, is being 90% sure of the answer that you're picking. When I'm filtering through my answer choices, the first thing I'm looking for is, okay, is this just explicitly wrong? Like, did the passage even say anything like this, right? If the passage is about, I don't know, what kind of concrete people use on sidewalks and the answer choice is talking about bluebirds, right? It's wrong. Obviously, it's wrong. If it has nothing to do with the answer, I don't know why I picked those two examples. I'm just looking at a window right now. That's the first thing I'm looking for. The second thing I'm looking for... Oh, is there a bluebird in front of your window? Yeah, there's... It's not... It's actually not... I'm just a liar. It's not a bluebird. It's just a gray bird, but I pretended it was blue to make it seem nicer. Don't let the facts get in the way of the story. <laughs> <laughs> The second thing that I'm looking for is whether or not it's relatively close to what you said, the direction that I think the answer is going to go in. If it's something that's accurate to the passage, but it's not actually relevant to the question being asked, I'm not going to think too hard about it. I have my filter. I have my test that I'm using against these answer choices. I'm not going to sit there and try to convince myself my test is wrong, right? That's not helpful. If I know, if I read through that passage, I identified the structure, I identified the main point, I identified the perspectives. And I have a test because on this question of what I think the answer is going to look like, I'm not going to question myself, right? I think half of this test of the LSAT at least is having the confidence to trust your instincts and trust your gut. And so if you have that test, use it, rely on it and do it perfectly every single time. Over time, you will calibrate and your test will get better and better and better. But there is simply not time on this test for you to second guess something you've already decided. And the last thing that I'll do is I'll make sure and we'll talk about this more in a future episode. Every single answer that you pick on RC is going to have textual support, right? You have to be able to prove it with the answer or with the passage. And I think that kind of brings us to our next point of after you've read the passage initially, how often should you be going back to reread the passage or double check your answer? And here's what I'll say, going back to what Henry said about being 90% sure of an answer choice. If you are 90% sure of an answer choice without going back to the passage, and the only reason you would go back to the passage is get to 100%, right? To double, triple check that that answer is correct. Don't do it. Don't waste your time. 90% is good enough because 
I, I think you, I'm stealing this from you because I think you put it beautifully, Henry, that the amount of time that it takes to get from 0% certainty to 90% certainty is pretty much the same amount of time, if not less time, than it'll take to get from 90% certainty to a 100% certainty. And that gap is what you need to start to eliminate from your test taking process so that you can save time. Now, if you are like 20% sure of an answer choice, right, and you really need to go back to the passage to make sure that you're not just way off, that's the starting amount, right? There's five questions. So you're 20% sure. Okay, whatever. If you're 25... Right, if you have no idea what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> maybe skip the question, come back to it later. But if you're like 25, 30% of an answer choice, or maybe 60% of an answer choice, and it's only going to take you about 10 to 15 seconds to go back to the passage, double check something, sure. That I, I'm amenable to. But if you're relatively certain that the answer that you picked is right, save yourself the trouble and keep moving. Now, I also want to emphasize that you should never, ever, 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 ever go back to the passage and just start scanning through the entire thing. If you are ever going back to the passage, you should know exactly what you're looking for. You should know exactly where that thing is and you should be able to find it within a matter of seconds. It is an absolute waste of time to get two questions into a passage and essentially reread the passage again because you're looking for something. You're better off just skipping the question entirely. That's very strong language, but how do you kind of feel about that, Henry? No, I 100% agree. And I think you put it beautifully, right? Where (laughs) unfortunately it's it's not absolute. It's not never go back to the passage. And it's also not always go back to the passage. There's going to be an Mm in-between. If you're 90% sure, 100% agree. Don't go back to the passage. I think you also stole the words right from my mouth when you said, you should know where you're looking. Mm -hmm. That's a very important element. You, You really have to have an idea of where in the passage you're going to confirm your answer. If you don't have an idea where in the passage you would find the answer to this question, to me, that's an indication you probably did not understand the passage up front enough. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you're, you're lacking the, the structure or you, you don't have as enough of a good, a good enough low res summary to go back to. Something went wrong before this question that led you to that. If I work with someone who they look at a question and they, they feel as though they, they really just have no idea where to begin. Right. Or they, they have no idea where in the passage that question is. One, I tell them to skip because right? scanning the entire passage is not going to be a good use of your time. And then afterwards, we try to determine, OK, like, well, what went wrong? Right. Where did you not read the first paragraph or not fully understand the first paragraph? And that led you to having a misunderstanding of the second and third. Did you stop reading? Right. So often we stop reading like right before the end. <laughs> Right? This happens all the time. You get to the end of the passage, you get excited, you kind of glance over the last two sentences. Well, guess what? The last two sentences, there's always a question about those two. Right? So you actually have to devote a lot more attention. Not always, not always. I know we're saying not al- I would actually be comfortable saying always. I, I, really? I, I can't think of a single passage offhand that I've, I've, I've worked with where there is a question that does not deal with, the, or there's no question. Oh man, I'm getting the double negatives. <laughs> this, is why, this is why I'm saying always, right? I can't think of a passage that I've done where there's no question that relates to the last two sentences. They're almost, I'll say almost always to hedge because you're making me second guess myself, which is what you're not supposed to do on RC, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe that was You're the plan s- all along. That was just a right. setup I, for you I to know. say that. <laughs> just shaking my... Yeah, exactly. It was all planned. This was in the copy. <laughs> no, but they're, they're almost... I, I really do think that there almost always is. And, and, you know, the writers know that people skip over the last two sentences and they get excited. So, so committing yourself to, to looking at that. Yeah. So I, I agree. I, just going back to this idea of where if you are going back, it shouldn't be to reread the entire passage. <laughs> right? The, 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 the sh- that ship has sailed. You really have to know. You really have to know. You really have to know where you're looking. Any thoughts on that? I just agree. I agree. And now I think we're ready to fight. 
This is where the agreement stops, okay? No more Mr. Nice Henry and Miss Nice Asta. <laughs> okay, we're done with the niceness thing. <laughs> Rom-com's over. Yeah, This exactly. is a battle scene. So comparative passages, let's talk about it. So the reason we wanted to include this topic in this episode is because we're really just talking about what happens after the passage, right? So after the passage, you should be predicting your answer choices. After the passage, you should be really mindful about when you're going back to the passage. And when it comes to comparative passages, the big question is, what do you do after passage A? Now, if you don't know what a comparative passage is, they started doing comparative passages recently, where there's a passage A that has a take on a topic, and then passage B that has either a disagreeing take or kind of an expanded take, different scope of it, passage B, but they're both relatively the same topic. And then there will be questions, obviously. Some of those questions will just be about passage A. Some of those questions will just be about passage B. But there will be a number of questions in every comparative passage you do that has some kind of comparative element. What do passage A and passage B disagree about? What do they agree about? What do they think the same? What do they don't? Whatever. Now, there's a couple schools of thought when it comes to how to do comparative passages. I'll say mine. Henry will say his. We'll battle it out. And whoever survives gets to keep the podcast. Sound good? Okay. I didn't realize only one of us was leaving this podcast. Damn. (laughs) So (laughs) here's my take. I think it's a lot better personally to read passage A, read the entirety of it, think about it thoroughly, understand the structure and main idea, perspectives, yada, yada, and then go to the questions and answer as many of them as you can and eliminate as many answer choices as you can based on passage A. So some of the questions, like I mentioned, will only be about passage A. You can answer those like normal. Some of the questions will be asking you, which of the following statements do the author of passage A and passage B agree about or disagree about? And what you can do in that instance is take a look at the answer choices and eliminate any answer choices that passage A doesn't even talk about, right? Because how could the author of passage A agree on something that they don't even discuss, right? And so for a lot of these questions, maybe maybe the question is, which one of the following principles underlies the arguments in both passage A and passage B? Well, for that question, after you read passage A, you can go ahead and eliminate any answer choices that doesn't underlie the argument of passage A. And then after you've done that for as many questions as you can, you go back, you read passage B, and you finish the questions. After you've read passage B, you can now do the questions that talk solely about passage B, and you can also finish answering the questions that you might have been able to eliminate a couple of answer choices off from when you had originally read passage A. And for the most part, when and you're doing this process with passage B, you shouldn't really have to be thinking about passage A that much because you've already done a vast majority of the work related to passage A beforehand. Now, the pros that I see of doing it this way is one, it's just a little bit less confusing. I think that when you're trying to juggle what happened in passage A and what happened in passage B and keep them separate, separate, it can be a little tricky. But if you're doing them one at a time, I think it's a lot easier to keep those ideas separate. The second thing, in my opinion, is just timing wise. If you're struggling to finish an RC section, if you can get through at least some of the questions after having read passage A, you're probably going to finish more answers, probably going to get more answers than you would have otherwise if you're rushing towards the end and not able to finish any questions. So that's my pitch. Henry, the floor is yours. I will add, it's very, not to not to comment on your strategy, but if I was to adopt your strategy, it's very important that after you read passage A, when you getting when you get those comparative questions, that you're only Xing out, right? Y- your job is to X out answer choices. It's not to pick answer choices in on the comparative questions, right? So it's, you know, A agrees with B. I've had clients that they have this temptation to, to do this and they think, oh, I know. Yeah, A looks good to go. Well, the problem is you don't actually know what B thinks. Yeah. So it, it's really a matter of Xing out answer choices on that first pass. My take on comparative passages is that the whole concept here is your job is to compare. 
uh, compare the passages, right? That's part of the Profound. name, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, exactly. That's why they pay me the big bucks. <laughs> but your job is to compare. And so what I like to do is after I read passage A, I like to just go right to passage B. And as I'm reading passage B, Boo. what I know, I know. But what I'm thinking of is, okay, one, how does pa- how do passage A and passage B relate to one another? Right? Sometimes it'll just be opposing viewpoints on the same topic. Other times it'll be a little bit confusing. One will be, uh, you know, uh, like a diary <laughs> or or someone's biography and the other will talk about some theory of history right and then your job is to ask like well okay how do these relate to uh, one another maybe this figure doesn't self-identify but you know the, the historian would identify this figure from passage a as a member of you know some historical trend when you're reading that i tend to think it helps to go right to passage b because passage a is just so fresh in my mind then and i could look for points at which passage a and b might disagree or where they agree the differences between the two i like and i prefer doing it that way just because it, I feel like it gives me better it gives me a better sense and I had passage A more fresh in my mind I can make those comparisons a lot easier the advantage of this in my book is is, is actually timing really right, right. I think I think this is by far a, a timing advantage because you're only going through the questions once now I, I take your point that the second pass is probably going to be pretty quick but you still are going back and you're doing the same questions again so I tend to lean on the idea of hey read both the passages, you're probably going to end up faster. You might risk a little accuracy. I will say, I I think your method is a very good tool to be highly accurate. It's just a little bit more time consuming in my book. And so it really depends on who you are. Usually if someone struggles with comparative passages, I'll tell them to, to to do your method. If someone's feels pretty comfortable and their their problem is they're running out of time. One thing I might point them to is like, hey, try this method with comparative passages. Try reading both. And if that doesn't work for them, I say, uh, you know, try reading A and going through the questions and try reading B, right? It's it's really up to you in that sense. There's no real winner. I mean, come on, there's no winners. It, okay, You can fine. study your way. Yeah, I know. It, it's really about what works best for you. Yeah, I do agree. Yeah, exactly. And and just because it's it's just a nice thing to have two different strategies, right? Try them both. See which one works best. One thing about me, Henry, is I love drama. I do. Yes, I'm a dramatic person. And so when there's yeah. an opportunity for us to fight and for only one of us to make it out alive, I'm going to take it. Right. That's just who yes, I am. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's a fault of mine. It's a, a pro of mine. Who's to say? But at the end of the day, <laughs> I, I do agree. It's good to have those two different perspectives. If you're a listener and you're like, goodness, I'm super confused. Which one do I do? whose method is better, here's the fun thing. You get to decide, right? Try them both out and see what works best for you. Two very high scores, people who have spent a lot of time with this test, who have worked with a lot of students on this test, have different preferences about how to go about things. And hopefully that's a testament to how individualized the studying process for this test is and that there's no one way to go about it. Even though a lot of times we might speak in absolute terms, at the end of the day, you know, take what works and leave what doesn't. So if you're struggling with comparative passages, try both of these methods out, see which one works better for you and then stick with it right and get better and better and better at it in summary there's a couple of different things you can do after the passage first thing that i i will say very definitively that i think you should do is try to predict the answer choice try to predict other what either what the answer is going to be or where the answer is going to be have a general idea of what the direction of the answer choice is going to look like next thing after the passage how often should you be going back to the passage eh not super often. Make sure you're not going back to the passage for every single question. I think that's a a pretty strong no from me. And if you're only going back to the passage to get from that 90% to 100% confidence, then quite honestly, I think you're wasting your time a little bit. And then lastly, when it comes to comparative passages, whether you're in the Henry School of Thought or the much better and smarter and more accurate Austin School of Thought, up to you. Who's to say? 
I think the unifying principle here, though, just to add, and this is true across all sections of the test, is, is you want to be going in with a strategy, right? You don't want to just go into the answer choices on the question and just consume. You want to have an idea of what you're looking for. How am I going to filter out some of these questions? Similarly with the comparative passages, you want to go in having a plan, right? You have a plan. Okay, I'm going to read passage A, go through the questions, then go back to passage B. Or I'm going to read passage B right after passage A, but I'm looking for certain things, right? I'm looking for the points of agreement, points of disagreement. I don't, I don't, I don't know why I left that as if I was going to say more, but, but that was <laughs> well, the end I of think... that. Have a plan. <laughs> I think that brings us to the end of our rom-com slash action slash thriller slash mystery episode. Duel to the death, maybe? There, I, was there dueling to the death? I feel like we, we definitely <laughs> oversold that. <laughs> maybe, maybe just a little bit, but hopefully you were entertained. All right, well, that is it for RC. Keep studying, keep working hard, keep using 7Sage, LSAT Prep Plus with live class subscription, whatever, whatever, and stay tuned for the next episode. Bye, y'all. Bye. For more LSAT study tips, visit 7 See you next week. <laughs>